Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the afternoon news on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It is 2.06 on a Monday afternoon, Election Day in the city of Edmonton. Brenton Dreger sitting in for Andrew and Jay Lynn once again today. Uh, that's because they're working They're working the late shift tonight here on 6.30 Ched. We'll be a part of uh, Decision Edmonton coverage tonight, of course. Uh, you can catch that right here on 6.30 Ched. Decision Edmonton. Um, as well as globalnews.ca from 8 to 9.30. That'll be anchored by Gord Steinke and Caroline Devaney and also feature Ryan Jesperson, Jay Lynn, and Andrew. And then after that show wraps up, Jay Lynn and Andrew will continue right here on 6.30 Ched with extended radio coverage. Uh, polls close at 8 and then uh, Decision Edmonton on 6.30 Ched and globalnews.ca. So, big day in the city of Edmonton. Uh, really excited uh, to be with you again. And to start the show off today... I'm pleased to be joined in studio uh, by a couple of people who who got out of work early. That's a bad (laughs) escape-related pun. But uh, joined by Lamia Asif uh, and Jonathan Liao. Lamia... Let me see. I guess we'll we'll introduce you as the the YEG Escape Room Roundup blogger. Yes. So if there's an escape room in Edmonton, (laughs) she's probably Probably. uh, been there. And uh, Jonathan, of course, from SideQuest Adventures... um, yeah, that's yeah. We're an escape room company here, local to Edmonton, and yeah, we we build escape rooms. That's what we do. And of course, people if they may have heard of your name most recently, of course, because of the prison escapee connection. So for better or worse, that is your claim to fame now in, Ed- in the city of Edmonton. For now, yes. <laughs> Can I just get you to get a bit closer to your? Yeah, excellent. That's perfect, uh, Jonathan Wigger. Hear your voice uh, loud and clear. So. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert at all in the escape room uh, circuit. I've been to one. Went to one escape room, you know, this year, my first time. But people in Edmonton are seem to be really catching on to it if the growth in escape rooms is any indication. So um, maybe, Jonathan, we can start with you. When did your escape room open and how did you decide to get into it? We opened in September of 2016. We had been planning it for a, about a year prior to that. We had done just two escape rooms before that. We decided to go into business. We decided that would be a fun thing to do. And in the meantime, a, a lot of other escape rooms have opened. I think, well, I mean, there's like what, 17, 18 in the city now. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot. And when you started, how many were there? You said 2015? Uh, 2016. 2016. So, so how many were there back then? <laughs> Four? Yeah. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> small, like it's a handful, right? Yeah. You can list them off and you would not get confused with all the new ones that are coming in. But yeah, it's grown like crazy in the last two years. And Lambia, when did you start, like when did you go to your first escape room? It was uh, January of 2015, so that was somebody had mentioned it. So I think they had just started just a little bit before that. I think it was 20, maybe 2016, and uh, yeah, 2016, and uh, yeah, somebody had just mentioned it. Oh, you should say there's this thing. They didn't know how to explain it really. It was just like go into a room, you get locked in there, and I thought, <laughs> for some reason that was the appeal. I don't know why, so it wouldn't appeal to a lot of other people. But yeah, go in, you get locked, and you have to try to get out in 45 minutes. And so oh, it, was, it was a challenge, and we tried it, and then it was like an immediate addiction at least for us huh. yeah so it, then how soon did you have to go back and try another one <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know. I hope we're not like that weird, but we <laughs> did that room and we booked, like on the way out, we booked another room. Huh. We wanted to do it, but it was already, uh, the, the appointments were taken up. But like we've gone sometimes to certain spots and, got, and done a room, come out of it, done in the next room come out of that one down the next room so like almost finished all the escape rooms at one spot in one visit hmm. so how does edmonton compare to other cities like if we have if we're at the 17 ish mark right now and we've kind of grown in the last year or two you know quadrupled our count how, do, how would we compare to other cities i think actually if you do a quick calculation like per capita for population in edmonton we have as many or more than places that are bigger than us, like Vancouver, Toronto. Mm. We don't have as many as the really crazy places across the world. Like I think Moscow has something like 200 companies operating in it, which is oh a gosh. little bit insane. But as far as North America goes, we have a lot. Wow. Okay. That's impressive. Um, so I'd be happy to get people's uh, texts on this as well. If you have any escape room-related questions or an experience you want to share about your you know, first trip to an escape room, or I guess if you want to get a recommendation from our two experts here, uh, absolutely, 6.30, uh, 6.30, and maybe we can get into that a little bit later on. Um, we'll start with you on this, Joe Jonathan. What goes into making a good escape room? So you've, you've obviously you started your own business. You have a bit of a sense of uh, what people like. Uh, you kind of struck it lucky with the the big news story that drew a little extra attention to your business and hey we can't fault you for that but i mean what what goes into making a, a good escape room i think most of all there's a really fine line between challenging people but not having it so challenging that they don't feel like they ha ever had a chance so there, there's mm. a really fine line between puzzles that are challenging enough to to force you into saying, oh, once you get it, you feel really accomplished, but not so much that if you had to ask for a hint, you're like, oh, I would have never have gotten that. In addition, rooms have gotten a lot more thematic over the years now. I believe mm. the first ones were literally like, here's an office. We've dressed it up just slightly as a hotel room. There's some locked boxes. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got like full production ones that have like full sets. They have music. Some of them have actors. Some of them have multiple rooms. Some of them have moving parts. They have multiple endings there's there's lots of stuff wow. out there now that people are doing to really up the game mm -hmm. and as far as theatrics go the game is always going up that way as well wait actors like there's other people in there in character watching you interacting with you yes i've done a few that have had the equivalent of like a small theater production company behind them wow. playing characters in them and acting out different parts being characters that you can interact with ask questions to that sort of thing huh yeah, I think that's and that's interesting because it's like any acting, it has to be done really well for that to sort of blend mm. in seamlessly. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I too have done a, a few rooms with actors, and sometimes it works, and other times you're like, oh, what is this? Just another person in the room with us, right. and could you get out of the way a little bit? So it is a hard thing to master, just like anything else. But like, you're, it's acting, so it's not something you can necessarily just throw the front counter staff into unless they're really into it and they do a really good job with it there's something i was thinking about as you know after we'd kind of booked you guys and we're we're looking at doing this 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 uh segment is i mean 20 30 years ago the thing to do i guess i mean i was a little baby or whatever right but the thing to do back then would have been maybe you know bowling or roller skating or whatever you know kids those days were doing and nowadays is, is that what escape rooms are they've just kind of replaced the bowling alley or the roller skating rink or <laughs> where does this fit into the entertainment landscape of edmonton 
I think since people have been doing a lot of passive entertainment nowadays, so there's movies have been big for a really long time. Now mm. VR is coming in. Now a lot of things like like passive entertainment is really big, but a lot of things that are coming back are things that are sort of odd or strange or active, such as axe throwing has become really big yeah. in the recent times. And I think people are kind of feeling that they'd like to do things that are social once again. Along those lines, board game cafes yeah. are coming back in. Mm-hmm. People like seeing people face-to-face doing things with them rather than sort of passively enjoying something. So escape rooms kind of give you that opportunity to bring a group of friends together, do something that you probably haven't done before, or at least, you know, pretend to be an adventurer, explorer, space astronaut, something <laughs> something that you normally wouldn't get to do. <laughs> and then with that, then you get to experience, have this social experience with all your friends and then have something really cool to talk about afterwards. Right. It, it, I think you're right. And it just seems to work for all kinds of different scenarios. Like if it's a, I think that escape room, well, I don't know if people might disagree, but escape rooms are probably really good for um, like first or second dates because oh. you, you don't have to come up with the conversation. It's right there, right? Yeah. We need to solve this. We need to get out here. Can we figure this out? So, th- I mean, I think that you don't have to come up with the conversation <laughs> topics. It's oh. a little trial by fire, but yeah, it would work. <laughs> it could gonna... work. If you're, if you know, it's like a total disaster, then maybe it's not the greatest for a first so, yeah, what happens if 15 minutes in, you know that it's already going badly? What do you do for the next half hour? Yeah, beg, beg, get us out of here. I don't know. It's a, it's a good test, too. I never even thought about that part of it. But um, also, we uh, like on the blog, we get a lot of questions, too, about like, you know, it's sometimes you either send your kids out to do a thing and then you do your adult thing and then you'll meet up later or you oh. pick them up later. And this is one of those things that you could do with the kids. Not every room is themed for them, but there are a lot of in this city that do a really good job of uh, doing what Jonathan said, having that skill level where everybody in the family can participate in those puzzles. So I think it's a fun thing to do with every age level in your family. That's a good point. I feel like when I was a kid and maybe even nowadays, it's still kind of like that. Now I'm, I guess I'm on the parent side of it as opposed to the mm-hmm. kid side of it. But a lot of the stuff that's, you know, quote unquote, like family fun is just lame for adults. You're like, well, that's, I don't want to play that dumb board game. Like that's boring. But this is something that you, yeah, you can totally kind of find that sweet spot for everybody. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I got to ask you this, Jonathan. I mean, you, you run a business. You were one of the first ones on the scene here in Edmonton. Um, is it at the point, like, I mean, do, do escape rooms hate each other? Like, is it is it, like, heavily competitive? <laughs> or are you like, you know what, there's enough escape room lovers out there. We can all, you know, just have all those customers cycle through all of our establishments. There's plenty of pie for all of us. I think it depends on who you ask. <laughs> but in my, in my personal opinion, like, and a lot of the downtown partners probably feel this way as well, is that it's a shared market, right? Like, because... Currently, our rooms don't change when you come back and do them. The puzzle doesn't change when you come back and do it the second time. It's unlikely that you're going to come back and do the same room again, unless you really didn't get far the first time. So in the meantime, while you've done my room, had a good time at SideQuests, I still have to, like, I want to hook you into that that habit of loving escape rooms. But in the meantime, if I don't have any more content for you, I want to be able to recommend you to somewhere mm. where I trust them that they're going to also give you a quality experience. So for a lot of the downtown operators, that's kind of our motto is, is that, hey, look, we all love each other's rooms. We're going to cross-refer each other because we all trust each other to give customers a really fun experience downtown. Not a zero-sum game, yeah. How, how often do you have to change your room? Like, how long will you keep one? To be fair... Um, it depends. Hmm. So uh, 
a room probably if we had to take it down to the number of hours it took to build it's probably in the hundreds closing down to the thousands of man hours to build design refine and then actually have as a thing so from business point of view we want to get as much use as we can out of it in our current space we have a large basement and we haven't built back all the way yet so we're going to be expanding that space instead of sort of changing out rooms because we have the flexible space to do that for someone that doesn't have as much space they may have to make the decision between closing a room or building a new one mm-hmm. or when they have to rotate that but mm-hmm. for now we don't have to make that decision Lamia, when you're explaining what an escape room is to somebody who's never done it before or whatever and i know on your blog you're you know trying to give people recommendations on if you're starting out or you want to heavier difficulty, whatever. But when you're explaining escape rooms to the real newbie, how do you explain it? Or what's an example of escape room that you give? Um, well, I, basically, it's like I describe it as the, what I think the real appeal behind it is, and it's you get to test your intelligence, which is why I think <laughs> that we keep going back. Uh, and then uh, I have, I'm honestly not that intelligent if I use escape rooms as a barometer. <laughs> but I think that's how I describe it. It's that you, you go into a room, it has a certain storyline, and the good ones have a really immersive storyline where it doesn't feel like you just walked into, as you mentioned earlier, like an office that's slightly decorated. It really feels like you're in this setting. And then, yes, you have to solve a series of puzzles and riddles and challenges and questions uh, before you're able to escape or solve or or find a certain thing, depending on what the storyline is. So that's how it is described. It's like you get stuck in this room. Can you work with the people you're with? And are you all collectively smart enough to escape? Hmm. All right. It's 219. We need to take a break here uh, and we'll continue our conversations about uh, escape rooms in just a minute. Our guests are Lamia Asif and Jonathan Liao. Uh, You're listening to the 630 Chet Afternoon News. Two twenty-three. Brenton Dreger with you, filling in for Andrew and Jay Lynn today. Guests in studio: Lamia Asif from YEG Escape Room Roundup. That's her uh, blog where she uh, reviews all the many, many, many escape rooms uh, she's uh, been in. And Jonathan Liao uh, from Side Quests Adventures. Jonathan, I, I have to make sure we get this in here before our time is up in a couple minutes here. Uh, but recently, of course, you guys. Got in the news because the <laughs> a couple of prison escapees walked in your door. I'm sure our listeners are pretty familiar with the story, and the you know police moved in and and uh, made the arrest without incident. Uh, but I, I happened to check your website, and I mean you're you're wearing this thing now, right? Like it's it's kind of is it kind of your claim to fame? Has it helped your business put you in the spotlight a bit more? Well. I'd be lying if I said it hasn't helped. <laughs> um, yeah, awareness has definitely gone way up. Every group that comes in asks, they're like, wait, is is this the place? Like, mm. Yes, yes, this mm-hmm. is the place. It happened here. This is the desk. They went around this corner. <laughs> you tired of talking about it already? <laughs> Would you like to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think people kind of know the story, uh, and of course they can. It's on our website and everything. They can they can Google it, and it, yes, it is it is on the website. Googleable but but it, but it is a it is a fun story for sure. But I was curious how it had affected um, your business. What is uh, so in your escape room? I mean, what's the escape rate? People like to talk about that, right? When they're when they're playing, when they're escaping, what's the escape rate at side quests? It depends on which room you're talking about. For mm-hmm. our easiest room, it's probably sitting around the 35 to 45%. For our harder rooms, it's probably sitting around the 20 to 25% range. Oh, and you were talking earlier about how you want to make it challenging, but not like challenging, like, well, I could never get that. So is that, are, are those the sweet spots? 
it's less a sort of a perception of whether you escaped or not, or more of once you see the solution to a puzzle, whether you feel that the mm. clues presented were fair and that given a little bit more time or given the right insight, you could have gotten that without help. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's totally true. That's so important because there's been, I've, we've done so many rooms that we haven't escaped, but if you can at least like gain a little bit of momentum throughout there and say, well, I figured a few things out, then it's still fun. Even if you haven't escaped or you haven't solved the ultimate puzzle. But I know that there's, uh, you know, there's one like very bad traumatic memory in my mind <laughs> oh, where boy. I go, it didn't feel solvable. <laughs> like it's a room in this city and that final puzzle, it just doesn't seem solvable. And the staff come in and it's kind of like a ha ha, we got you. And that is not fun at all, right? It, like when you're, and you know, the, the escape rate is in the single digits. And to me, that's not really a successful thing for anybody. Yeah, that's not really the point, right? Because right. As an operator, it's like, that's not my goal is to make you feel bad. My goal is to have you f- have fun when you come in. And if you feel bad, that like that defeats purpose for everyone. That's what I'm thinking, too. <laughs> now, is it best to go to an escape room? I mean, Lammy, you've done it uh, as a couple, and you've done it in groups. I mean, right. what's, what's the best way? to try it. Yeah, don't do it just as a couple. No. It's not, <laughs> not <laughs> just going to get on each on a, other's I thought service. you said a first date was a good idea. Oh, a um, double first date, <laughs> oh, maybe. Double <laughs> first date. <laughs> well, no, if you're, if you're, the reason I would say not to do it just as a couple is because, first of all, a lot of rooms have a lot of work to do. So just the more bodies, the better. Mm. And also, um, we just find, like, you know, when I do it with my partner, we, we always have the same way of thinking. So we have our fortes mm. and then we have our areas of weakness. And if we're just the two of us every time, we're going to fall into the same trap. So having as many different brain types is really helpful. Hmm. What's your your experience at your place? Um, I would say that every room, at SciQuest we have um, specific recommendations for group sizes. I would say every room does have an optimal group size. Some have been designed for fewer players, some have been designed for more players. I would say most rooms probably don't go with the minimum, don't go with the maximum. Somewhere in the middle is a really happy spot. So say the room takes six players, I would say four is probably a really great number. Yeah, exactly. Because there's always also, when you hit that maximum, which sometimes is really inflated, you'll have people just standing around. They're just standing for 45 minutes exactly. and watching things go on. And that's not any fun either. Yeah, you want everyone to have something to do mm-hmm. and have fun. Well, this has been really interesting. I mean, I've been to one escape room in my life, and I feel like I've learned a lot already uh, from this <laughs> afternoon. Thanks a lot for coming in. Thank you. Kate Lamy, and if people want to read the reviews, uh, do you ever write... Here's a question. I was looking, and you have a lot of positive reviews. Do you ever write negative reviews? Yeah, we just wrote a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's honestly, almost all the rooms are good. The, the hint on our blog is if we've done one room, that means we hadn't gone back. So uh, we've oh, yeah, okay. there there are a few spots where we go. You know so, what? You might want to stick with the like bona fide escape room okay. companies. And so, where can people find your reviews? It's Yeg Escape Room Roundup. Uh, it's a WordPress site. So if you just Google that, you'll get us. All right, and Jonathan, where can people find you? They can find us downtown on 104th Street, or they can find us online at www.sidequests.ca. Great, cool. Thanks a lot for coming in. Thank you. Stick Thank around you. for the news. Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station.
It is 2.34 on a Monday afternoon. Good day to you. Brenton Dreger sitting in for uh, Andrew and Jaylin this afternoon uh, here on 6.30 Ched. Uh, of course, Andrew and Jalen working the uh, the later show today. They'll be around tonight for your election coverage here on 6.30 Ched. It's Decision Edmonton airing on 6.30 Ched and globalnews.ca. So, of course, you know the polls close tonight at 8 here in Edmonton. So it's Decision Edmonton from 8 to 9.30, anchored by Gord Steinke, Carol Ann Devaney, and uh, featuring Ryan Jesperson, Jalen Nye, and Andrew Gross. And then after that... Jalen and Andrew continue with extended radio coverage until 11 o'clock tonight. So polls close tonight. You've got uh, a close at eight tonight. So you've got, uh, what, five and a half hours left uh, to cast your ballot here in uh, Edmonton. Um, And, of course, we'll have it covered for you here tonight on 630. Coming up after the three o'clock news, we'll be chatting about the election uh, with Kim Cruchel, former city councillor, and Zore Saher from Intervivos, and would love to get your take on, on a few things as well when we when we get chatting about election later on, but you can already text in your thoughts to 630-630 if you'd like. Um, one issue, I mean, is going to be turnout. How many people are actually going to turn out to vote in this election? When you've got um, an incumbent mayor, and uh, you've got, I guess you, you do have three ward openings. You've got three open wards where people are electing uh, new city councillors. But how, how do you drum up support? I mean, it's hard to get people engaged sometimes as it is in municipal politics. If you're comparing to provincial and federal voter turnout, Maybe you can get, you know, 40% or whatever it is, people to show up for a federal or municipal election, but the municipal, for federal provincial, but the uh, municipal ones can be uh, a little tough to come by sometimes. And when you've got an incumbent mayor, and I kind of wonder if there's really, I mean, I think there's, this is one of those things that I really want to talk to with Kim Cruchel and uh, Zori Saher is, I think people are kind of upset about a few things, maybe the bike lanes or infrastructure projects, uh, things like that. But there's not like one big burning ballot box issue. There's not there's not a city center airport or an Edmonton arena that's really got people um, divided or hot under the collar uh, on one side or the other. So we'll get into that a little bit after three o'clock, and you'll hear much more about that here on six thirty Ched throughout the day. Right now, though, uh, we still want to talk a little bit of politics, but from a different perspective. Stay with me on this. Um, and it comes to, <laughs> I almost can't say it with a straight face, but the, when it comes to picking your politician, do you, do you factor in sex appeal? Yeah, yeah, I said it. And what brought this up for me uh, recently was a piece in the National Post last week written by Tristan Hopper. And you know him as a, as a, as a friend of 630 Ched here on the Jesperson Show and, and so on. And he, and he wrote this piece... Andrew Shear's sex appeal, how the Tory leader stands up against two world-renowned political hunks. Of course, uh, comparing the new conservative leader to the prime minister and the brand spanking new NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh. So joining us to talk a bit about this uh, now is Tristan Hopper. Tristan, thanks for making some time for us today. Oh, no time. Uh, no problem. Thank you. <laughs> so first of all, I mean, I've heard that in the print world, 
the person who writes the article doesn't write to get the headline. So, does, I mean, Andrew Shear's sex appeal, are those those your words, or is that the headline writers? No, I absolutely wrote that headline, and uh, it was designed uh, for maximum click appeal uh, and success. That was uh, Post Media's <laughs> number one story for that day. Mostly outraged people in Toronto, but I think Albertans were smart enough to get it. They kind of knew what I was up to. <laughs> uh, so what was it that you were you were going for? I mean, were you... Were you trying to stir the pot, or what were you going for? So uh, my editor says, hey, uh, funny guy, uh, you should write a funny article about Andrew Shear's sex appeal. He just pointed out, uh, you notice that, of course, you have uh, Justin Trudeau and then Jagmeet Singh. They're both sort of seen as stylistic symbols of male virility around the world. I mean, Trudeau's on the cover of uh, Rolling Stone and GQ, mm-hmm. and uh, Jagmeet Singh is a viral video star when he was telling that woman, uh, you know, love or whatever. Uh, uh, either way, there's two figures that are known around the world, and then, of course, you have Andrew Scheer, who's just a normal Canadian schlubby politician. And I say that as someone who was rapidly turning into a schlub myself, so let's just put that in context as I continue to call him a schlub during the interview. But I, I guess what my editor was going for is uh, maybe by the end of this, as I sort of break down, you know, empirically, there are a few ways in which he could technically have sex appeal. You'll get to the end and say, well, this is silly. And then, you know, maybe you'll think the whole thing is kind of silly to judge politicians based on sex appeal. Ah, so you, so you, so you were going for the kind of satirization of the entire sex appeal conversation. Yes, uh, but uh, our readers never go for straight satire. Uh, they're, they're too smart for that. They always need extra information and value-added satirotainment. I, uh, I guess that, that would be the genre I'm going Well, for. I was going to say, I mean, you, you gave Albertans a nice compliment there at the beginning that we're Albertans were the ones who found it funny, but I do remember not too long ago when the National Post did post some satire about Edmonton being a city full of twitchy-eyed, machete-wielding savages, and not everyone in Edmonton got it. I, I personally own a machete, and uh, I've used it uh, to fend people off my property. Uh, that's potentially illegal, but uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And my eyes get twitchy when I get tired. But anyway. Yes, I, I was twitchy at the time. Yep. There's just uh, too much coffee. So, I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the reaction, too, because I, I noticed that the godfather of the National Post, Conrad Black, uh, even had to weigh in. I think uh, what Lord Black fell for was the classic not reading the article before commenting. Uh-oh. Uh, so I, I think uh, he didn't realize what we were going for. He thought this was a, just a straight huffpo, uh, you know, legitimately just trying to break down point by point Andrew Shear's sex appeal, which is kind of what it is. Uh, but I mean, he founded the National Post in 1998 to be sort of a tongue in cheek take. Uh, on current news events and a way to piss off other media organizations. And this story absolutely pissed off other media organizations. So I think when it was pointed out to him uh, carefully, and maybe he, he changed his tune. So, I mean, he, he sent me a, uh, a reply via Simpsons reference. Uh, now, th- I, I did not know that Lord Black w- was aware wow. uh, of The Simpsons or, or animated primetime television or anything on TV, really. Uh, so I, this was uh, his hipness uh, was quite surprising to me, but that mm. might just be an intern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you kind of talk about this in the the post a little bit, but um, Trudeau, the prime minister, has benefited from you know embracing his his fitness and his photogeneity. You know, people, you know, the the planking or whatever that yoga move was. Mm-hmm, uh, right. I mean, I'm not fit or cool enough to know what it was. Uh, there's the, the 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 selfies or the or the photo bombs, and then and then uh, as you pointed out in your article, Jagmeet Singh kind of taking a dig at, at Trudeau's hair. Do you expect Andrew Shear to to get into this at all? 
Uh, I, I, so I brought that up with some my secret conservative sources, the ones whose name I can't use, and I said, well, is there going to be, there's going to be no mention of the word sex appeal, and they're like, oh, God, no, Christ, Christ, no, that will not happen. But uh, there might be an occasional video of you know him in black and white, and he's on a wheat field, and he's with his kids. I think that's as far as it's going to go. But my defense is people are saying, oh, you should focus on uh, the policies of leaders rather than on sex appeal. But that, of course, ignores the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Trudeau and, and Jagmeet Singh, uh, we'll see how, how far he takes it to a, to a certain point, have, have definitely embraced uh, they're just sort of general appeal rather than strict policies. I mean, you know, we didn't force Trudeau into a canoe uh, with the photographer mm. magically there to capture it. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. They're very carefully constructed kind of photo ops. Um, we're talking with Tristan Hopper of the National Post. We need to take a quick break. Uh, we've kind of talked tongue-in-cheek about this. want to get to a bit more of, of the serious uh, component about this as well uh, when we return. Uh, Brenton Dreger sitting in on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Forty-seven. Brenton in for Andrew and Jay Lynn today on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Our guest is Tristan Hopper of the National Post. His piece that got all the clicks and a little bit of outrage last week was Andrew Shear's Sex Appeal, how the Tory leader stands up against two world-renowned political hunks. The hunks, of course, he refers to our Prime Minister Trudeau and new NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh. Um, Tristan, I mean, I guess... Policy aside, because clearly this piece is uh, <clears throat> is light on on policy and and heavy on satire. Uh, what what is to like about Andrew Shear? Oh, uh, sexually. Uh, so I, I I don't I don't know about the non sexual aspects. That's something I haven't uh, researched. But I did try and break down, and this is a very familiar exercise for me, trying to technically break down why an individual is sexy even if generally they aren't considered so. This is, I, as a generally unattractive man, I spent a lot of time in high school. Like, why aren't they interested? <laughs> I, I, I hit all these boxes. So I was basically doing that with Shear. Uh, so there's a few ways in which, uh, well, first of all, he's tall. Uh, he's mm-hmm. six foot four inches, which makes him, he would be the tallest prime minister of Canada ever. Uh, he would be, I think, the tallest world leader. Uh, and he's actually a slightly taller than Abraham Lincoln, who is still the tallest U.S. president in history. So, you know, women and, and, and men uh, uh, like a taller man. So I guess that's one place technically he sort of beats the other two uh, on the sex appeal side of things. Uh, he's not famous, uh, which can have its own appeal. So I pointed out there's several celebrities like Meryl Streep who have married non-celebrities. Uh, so they had their, their pick of the litter, of course, in Hollywood, uh, but they go for just a random sculptor or a bartender or something, someone who isn't on the cover of magazines, and then marries them, uh, and then some of them have the longest-lasting uh, marriages in Hollywood. So, you know, there is a sex appeal in someone like Andrew Scheer, uh, who has almost zero celebrity, uh, certainly in Canada, and uh, definitely worldwide. Of all the intense research you did into this piece, Tristan, one that I found, one fact that I found the most gratifying was uh, Shear's extensive knowledge of Simpsons quotes. Yes, uh, we, we, this is the second time we're mentioning uh, Simpsons quotes uh, in this interview. So, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> in amidst our serious uh, cutting-edge reporting on Parliament Hill, post-media, I mean, we do break stories. We don't just do these frivolous, silly things. But we did ask an aide, hey, if you were in this bizarre, bizarro world position where you had to pitch the sex appeal of your leader as opposed to NDP or liberal, where it comes quite easily, if you had to do that, what would you point out? And they sort of hummed and hawed for a little while, this unnamed staffer. And uh, 
said, oh, well, he's tall. They mentioned the tallness. And then mm-hmm. said, uh, he has a very extensive knowledge of etymology. Uh, so that is the study of word origins. So I was like, well, how can I prove that that's technically sexy? And I found Match.com uh, did a study uh, a couple of years ago where they were asking women what they're looking for most in dating profiles. And I think number one uh, was hygiene. Uh, yes, so if you yeah. had a picture of you just clearly dirty, uh, they would not click on it. <laughs> and then number two was grammar. So if you have one like me looking mm. for date now, uh, that's you know that's the, the number two uh, most likely way to uh, unclick it. So what you have to realize, what I, I guess uh, the, the theme of this article, if you read through it, is that we forget that a lot of just average-looking people are having sex and trying to find people to have sex with. Uh, so uh, there are much more people uh, like Andrew Shear that uh, people are seeking out and uh, taking as sexual partners. So uh, he's much more representative of the uh, Canadian sexual experience, I think. Now, just to, to switch to kind of the serious side of this a little bit, and I'm guessing this is probably where a lot of your negative uh, feedback came in. I mean, we're, we're two dudes talking mm-hmm. about... Uh, men who hold public office, uh, who, yeah. are, who are doing important work in our democracy, and we're using, I mean, we're throwing the phrase sex appeal around uh, mm-hmm. like, there's, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. What if there were uh, a woman or women as part of this uh, conversation? I mean, how different would that be? And is there a double standard? Uh, I think uh, there is. So people were uh, getting upset with me uh, on this sort of hypothetical, like, what if this story had been about a woman? Well, it's not about a woman. So, you know, based in this story that you made up in your head, yes, it is an extremely offensive article. Uh, but uh, it is within context, so if just out of nowhere, you know, if Jagmeet Singh and, and Trudeau were going out and then they were just kind of, you know, Mackenzie King or Stephen Harper-style politics, just here's the policy, and, you know, they never, a- anytime they took a question about their socks, they just sort of, that's ridiculous, we're here to talk about Canada. So if, if it was in that context and I was trying to write this sort of uh, fluffy article, yes, I, I, I think uh, those, those uh, criticisms would be more valid. Uh, but uh, it's within the context of you have two candidates uh, who are sort of playing to that uh, sort of mushier side of politics. You know, I've got nice lustrous hair. You know, here's a music. Uh, here's a here's a video I put together on YouTube with a bunch of piano music, which shows me sort of you know walking around with nice camera angles or or what what have you. Uh, so within that context, it was, seemed interesting to take the candidate who doesn't do that, at least now, uh, and try and pitch them as the other candidates are being pitched, or uh, leaders, sorry. Mm-hmm. All right, Tristan, we'll have to leave it there for time, but uh, thanks a lot for sharing your humor and your insight with us today. Anytime, thank you. All right, that's Tristan Hopper of the, the National Post. The piece, if you'd like to read it, is Andrew Shear's Sex Appeal, How the Tory Leader Stands Up Against Two World-Renowned Political Hunks, uh, Read and Written Firmly with Tongue Planted in Cheek. 2.53, we're back in a minute. Two fifty-seven on the six thirty Chet afternoon news. My name's Brenton Dreger. Andrew and Jalen not away today. They're just working a later shift. They'll be in tonight as part of Decision Edmonton. Our coverage of the election uh, begins when the polls close at eight on six thirty Chet GlobalNews.ca, anchored by Gord Steinke and Carolyn Devaney, and we'll also include uh, Ryan Jesperson as well as Jalen and Andrew. And then after that show. Uh, wraps up. Jalen and Andrew will uh, take it home with extended radio coverage till 11 o'clock right here on 630 Chat. Always fun to uh, talk to Tristan Hopper. A couple of texts come into 630-630. Can Prime Minister Shear rock a Beatles tune on the piano like Mr. Harper? That's a good point. 
Uh, and someone else says, this is what Canadian politics has sunk down to. It's a joke. All fluff, no substance. Is this the level Chad has dropped down to also discussing the sex appeal of male politicians? You wouldn't discuss the sex appeal of female politicians. Wow. And uh, that's a great point because that's essentially what Tristan Hopper was going for um, by being so outrageous, pointing, I guess, at uh, kind of putting in the spotlight how some of the federal leaders are using their 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 sex appeal, their personability, uh, to their advantage. They're they're milking it, you could say, and he's uh, kind of tongue in cheek, uh, trying to drum up the sex appeal of Andrew Shear. So it is kind of a commentary on that. Uh, Anyway, so funny piece if you want to read it, but obviously has uh, generated a lot of negative backlash as well. We've got to head off to the news, and after that, uh, we've got an election panel coming in to talk a bit about uh, the issues of the Edmonton election and what, what Edmonton will look like going forward. That's after the news.